Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Joanna Fortune joins us uh, once again for parenting. Joanna, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Sean. Here's your first question. My 11-year-old daughter found some porn on my laptop when she was doing some schoolwork. She doesn't ever use my laptop, but hers had died and she wanted to finish her work, so I lent her mine, not even thinking. She got an awful fright when she saw it and doesn't understand what she saw. She keeps asking who they are and if I know them. I feel devastated that this happened. My wife, understandably, is furious. My daughter hasn't been the same with me since. How can I talk to her about this? Oh, God, this is one that definitely doesn't feature in the parenting manuals, isn't it? It's one of of the ones that catches you literally on the hop. But I, I think, look, the reality is all kids come across porn at some stage and it's something as parents that we must talk about. And add into that, Sean, that the average age, just globally, all of the data that's out there would point to approximately 10 years old being the average age for children to first see or access or view pornography. You will always have kids who've seen it younger and Mm. some who'll see it older. It's just the average age. But a conversation about this is definitely worth having. And she is at an age where I would be saying to you, you should be having this conversation anyway. Your conversation is going to be particularly framed around the fact that she has seen something that was in your possession. And that is directly linked to her saying, well, you watch it. Why do you watch it? So your conversation is slightly different and not as generalized as it is for most parents having this conversation or many parents having this conversation. But when you talk about it, um, talk about it with her, I mean, you know, you want to talk about what it is, what it is not, and be very clear about how you frame it, you know, that you go to her and say, look, You saw an adult movie on my laptop. I wish you hadn't because it's not for kids. It's for adults. And that was my fault for not closing it down before you borrowed my laptop. So you're clear you're not blaming her. It's not her fault. She saw it. But you're also putting the boundary that this is adult material, adult content and was never intended for her to see it. So you're framing it that way. And then you go back. Now, before you have any conversation about a topic like this or anything like it, be very clear about the messaging that you want to convey. What what message do you want to put across? Because it's important that you know you can have a sex positive conversation, um, you know, talking about sex, sexuality, intimacy, of course, consent, and you don't have to demonize porn or dismiss it, but you do want to put a boundary on it's not for her. It's not for children to look at. Um, so you want to talk to her about what she has seen then, you know, porn, it's not real. It's acting. It's very different to sex between people in real life. And then you again go back to the conversation about, you know, intimacy and affection and love and being sex positive and how you talk about that. But you are clearly saying it's not real. It's a movie. I do not know those people in answer to your question because actually they're actors and they're actors in a movie. So all of that is honest and it's open, but you are responding to the questions that she has. Um, I think, you know, she might want to ask her dad, why? Why do you watch it? Mm. And I, I, I and I just to be real about that, because I can give you a very general answer. But the fact is, she knows this was yours. And she might go, that's all well and good. I understand. I get it. But why are you watching it? Um, so if that 
if that and I might say when that question comes up, um, you do go back to, you know, because I think this is really hard for someone to hold their, okay, I've got my script, I've got my language, but then you ask me something as direct as that and I can get a bit flustered, you know. So remind her that, again, the movies are not real life. They're actors. They're not people you know. And that, again, keep going back to that mantra. These are for adults. They're not for children. You weren't supposed to see it, okay? Um, I think you have to do this because she has to make sense of it, make meaning of what she's seen. And otherwise, it is overwhelming. It is confusing. I don't know how to position this. I don't know where this belongs in our family life. So you have to help her make sense of it, however you go about this. And I'm noting your wife is understandably furious, as you put it. And I, I my assumption in reading this, um, Sean, is that she's furious that your daughter saw it. Um, but again, I think the two of you want to get on the same page and have this conversation together so that your daughter knows she can come to you and ask difficult questions about difficult things to either of you. So again, when you plan your conversation, I always think it's useful as parents to have that conversation with each other. So the first time you say these words, is not when you're sitting with your 11 year old, but you've actually almost had a run through or a practice with each other and go, maybe one of you go, I'm not comfortable with that. I want to word it differently. Do that yourselves before you go to her, but I wouldn't wait too long. You know, she's seen it. She's seen it on your laptop. She knows it's yours. She's asking the questions. And when children ask questions, you have to give them answers. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, but I, the child though, uh, perhaps could infer, okay, this was, daddy was looking at this stuff on his laptop and, and probably would be able to intuit that perhaps this feels like uh, he's betraying mammy uh, in some way or another. Yeah, I think that could well come up with the in the what I was putting as why are you watching this? Yeah, um, I think that could be there. And I actually think it's why I feel mum being a part of the conversation is helpful in that regard, uh, because you focus on what your daughter has seen, you know, be very open to asking and listening to how she's feeling about it. How do you feel about what you've seen? Because she might be angry, you know, exactly like you said, I don't think this is fair to mom or whatever it is. But again, you're putting it back to this is an adult movie. It's not real life. I do not know these people. I've never met these people. I have no contact with these people. And you're reframing it in that way. But again, if she asks you that question, then she's letting you know how she's feeling about it. I feel angry with you that I feel you've betrayed mom. I feel you've done something wrong. And as a, as her parents coming together to give a unified message, I do think that's going to take a little bit of practice together yeah. first. Um, you know, that's what's going to reassure your daughter. Yeah. Uh, God, I do not feel sorry. I do not really want to. I don't envy that conversation at all. Uh, I have a nearly five year old boy who has become petrified by bees and wasps. He's let out a high pitched scream and starts crying, will run if he can get away, but often is rooted to the spot. He has never been a fan of bees. Uh, but this very strong fear is now this year, is new this year. When he was two years old, a loud buzzing bee got in, his e in the car. It landed on the seatbelt near his face and didn't move. He was terrified. We pulled over and it took him a while to calm down. We haven't revisited the incident, but it's the only thing I can link it to. We explained all about the bee not being interested in him, that it's actually very busy working, getting pollen. When he's beside me and I see a bee at a flower, I'll bring him as close as he's comfortable and we'll watch the bee at work. He seems okay with this. Is there anything else I can try? He's a chill little man, too chill sometimes, and I hate to see this start to cause problems in Montessori when he's not with us or stop him going out into the garden at home. 
Yeah, it's actually, I mean, yeah, he can be chilled and relaxed and the fear can be located just around bees. And, you know, while you're linking it back rather than him to that time in the car, um, I think on the balance of probability, that makes sense that he had a fright with a bee. There was a lot of action pulling in, getting him out, making sure he was okay, And that has placed a high emotional charge around bees and what they do or the threat they might represent. I think everything that this parent has done is really appropriate. You know, the way you've explained about bees, their, their function, all of that, um, you know, that you've been very calm when he's with you and bringing him close-ish to the bee, but not forcing him to get right up there at the same time. Mm-hmm. And you've been reintroducing that. All of that is exactly what we would advise you do. So I think what you've got to do is keep doing that and reminding him with some kind of, a, you know, a sentence or a story or a line that bees try really hard not to sting or hurt anyone. That's not what they want to do at all. And usually they're actually very busy and they like to be left alone. But and then this next piece is the piece, because I also think with this, we have to be real, but positively reframe, but be real as well, that sometimes bees do sting. And, you know, that he understands that we're not saying, oh, bee will never sting you, because then if it happens, he'll come back at you and go, you said it would never happen. And it did. So add in something like, you know, even if a bee does sting you, I have a special spray or cream, whatever it is that makes it feel better. So we can fix that if it happens, you know, that you actually do. But even if it happened and really bees don't want to do it, they they rarely do it. We leave them alone. They're very busy. But even if that thing happened that you're worried about, we can work through it. And I think giving him that kind of reassurance, I really the, the fear of bees is so common. And it's not just children. Like there are tons of grown-ups who have a fear of bees and a fear of, you know, the buzzy noise, the fact that they because they're unpredictable, aren't they? They fly around. We can't see what they're doing. They seem to land out of nowhere. But typically with children, and particularly children this age, this would fit into what we'd call a transient fear rather than a phobia. You know, and I know we've spoken about this before, that a phobia is something much more pervasive, um, whereas transient fears are temporary and children tend to outgrow them or at least develop. Start. He may never love bees. You know, it's not I don't know anyone that goes, oh, yes, yeah, there's the bee I've made in my pet. You know, he may always be like, oh, a bee, but not afraid, not in a way that it prevents him going outside, not in a way that it affects him going about his regular daily activities and play. That's the piece you want to look for. But actually a fear of bugs in general, bees specifically, also spiders feature highly on the the list. They're very common childhood fears. Um, So, you know, exactly what you're doing is the appropriate response. And just don't fall into that trap of a bee won't sting you because we cannot give that kind of guarantee and it would be a mistake to do so. Okay, and I think our natural instinct as parents is often to soothe and comfort, you know, oh, that'll never happen. Don't be worried about that. But actually, you know, as counterintuitive intuitive as it is, we have to avoid making what is actually a false promise. But also we don't want to jump in and rescue our kid. We might want to, but we shouldn't jump in and rescue our kids from really difficult feelings. But actually stay with him exactly like you are in getting close to the bee, being with him so he learns he can master those tension rousing experience, he can master those uh oh feelings and his fears so that they don't dominate and take over. I think you're on the right track, basically. And with a small change or just more of it, you will see a change in time. Yeah, but it will take time. 
Right. Uh, uh, this is a kind of a disturbing one. My 16-year-old son has always been moody and would sometimes go off and shout and scream. But on two occasions in the last months, he has started throwing things with the aim of hurting someone. He threw a, pl- a plate at his younger brother, which hit his brother's arm and the plate smashed into pieces. He has thrown a wooden chair across a room in anger too. He doesn't even seem to get relief out of the destruction. He's as pent up and angry in the aftermath. He's very tall for his age and towers over his younger brothers and me. He does apologise, but it's always with, I'm sorry, but. I just worry about where this is leading. We are not a violent family at all. Uh, do not uh, show things. Where, I'm not sure where this is coming from, says the person. Yeah, this is this is worrying. I would always, I mean, no matter what the reasons or explanations, there's never an excuse for violence. And I would never advocate tolerating it or condoning it in any way. I mean, moodiness, very general kind of moodiness, which is flashes of temper, mood and outbursts. All of that is actually very common in teenage boys, teenage girls too, but is it is common in teenage boys. They crave independence at that age, but they're still largely dependent on their parents. And that kind of push-pull internally can, it can cause frustration, which then in turn can be expressed as physical aggression. And again, explaining that in no way excuses physical aggression. It cannot be excused. Now, I'm going to ask a few general questions if this parent is listening, just to kind of think about, because this is quite extreme behavior you're talking about. You know, it's, it's not just lashing out verbally, shouting, swearing, slamming doors. And again, I'm not saying all that's okay, but I'm just saying that's more in the range of typical flashes around this. This is actually about throwing things with the aim of hurting someone. That's very different because if I throw a chair across a room in temper, but I didn't throw it at someone or towards someone, if I hit someone, I can have that moment of, oh my goodness, what did I do? I didn't mean that. But if this is, this is about a calculated behavior if I'm throwing it with the aim of hitting. So that's something that worries me. You also say he's been moody. Um, all, all along, but now it has escalated. So I wonder, and as I would with any teenager who'd be coming to me around this, I would always wonder, explore and ask, might he be using any drug substances that could alter behavior or lead to some of this? The answer might be yes, it might be no, it might be I don't know. But just to kind of be curious about that, I'd also be curious, especially given the these times we're living in, which is becoming a new mantra in itself, um, how has he coped with lockdown and not seeing his peer group and yeah. not having his life outside of family. What has the intensity of that been like for him? And I know that's been difficult for everyone, particularly teenagers, but some teenagers will have coped better or differently than others have. And maybe he has coped particularly poorly with all of that. Now, ex- again, just emphasizing explaining does not excuse and violent behavior is never okay. Um, I would really like him to be seeing somebody around his behavior, especially, you know, this is more than anger. This is rage. This is aggression. Uh, Would he attend with a psychotherapist, with a psychologist for you um, if he is remotely open to that? If you could get him to do that, he might not go, oh, gosh, yes, absolutely. Why didn't I think of that myself? But you might be able to put it on the table as actually your behavior is not okay and isn't going to be accepted here. So we have to do something. And this is what I'm suggesting we do. So you can go to your GP and seek a referral to CAMS. You could, if you have the means to go privately for that, you could also look down that that route. I I think though, the other thing you could do I'm assuming this kid at 16 is in and around transition year. I'm just making a guess there, Mm. which means he's probably only just gone back to school this week is let's see how going back to school 
impacts this as well. Does he settle a bit? Does the flash points, do they lower it? The fact that you're saying he's always moody, though, does bring me back to I'd still like this explored. But maybe talk to the school if you're comfortable doing so. Have they observed any aggressive behavior? Have they noticed anything going on that could help you better understand this? Um, Because, you know, when we think about violence generally, it can be an appealing, even a seductive shortcut to power. So if you take away the power by not tolerating the violence, that's a very important thing to do. Now, in doing that, Sean, it's really important that I do not physically engage, as in do not get physical back with him. Um, I would actually say if the situation is physically violent, the way you've described in the moment, remove yourself and any other children in the house to another room. And you may then need to call somebody that could be a family member, a friend. It may be the guardie to come up and help you get the situation under control and to communicate in that action to your son that you won't be tolerating this, you won't be accepting it, it's not okay. Try to stay as calm as you can, bearing in mind you're not going to be super calm in a situation like this because there's context to getting worried, anxious and worked up yourself. But don't focus on not matching his level. Don't get as worked up as him. Try to stay as calm as you can. That means you're going to be strong, but not threatening. Be open to listening afterwards. You know, I hear that he says, I'm sorry, but which is not really an apology. It's a justification. I'm about to explain to you why I was right to do the thing that you say I shouldn't do. And while you tell me what he does, you don't say anything about what you do. I'm wondering what consequences are put in place for this type of behavior. What is the follow up and the follow through? And if you're not putting anything in place, you definitely need to because you can be open to listening to his version of the story I'm sorry I did that, but here's what was going on for me. You can reflect back to him what you've heard. You were upset. You were frustrated. You were this, you were that. And then you hold the boundary. It isn't okay to hit, to throw, to hurt anyone. This is not going to happen in our family. This is now the third or fourth time it has happened in X period of time. We're done with this. We're going to be taking action. I'm going to make some calls and we're coming up with a plan together. That you're coming back with the boundary of this isn't okay. I understand the emotional experience underpinning your behavior as you've relayed it, but I'm not going to tolerate this behavior. I think you have to take that type of approach with it because he's 16. I imagine he's a fine 16 physical, you know, Mm. strong young man and he's getting older and you have to put a boundary on this for his sake as much as everyone else's sake. Um, This would concern me. Yeah. Yes, indeed. And uh, uh, well, hopefully, perhaps there might be a small, a, a small, slight sign of improvement uh, uh, this week, given he's back to school. But yeah, as you say, it's it, it's quite worrying. Joanna Fortune uh, is still with us. Joanna's dealt with uh, several questions already. Uh, the first one was an 11 year old uh, who found porn uh, on her uh, father's computer. Obviously, uh, a very difficult conversation is going to have to ensue as a result of that. Uh, one texter says he needs to put chai locks on his laptop just in case. Even if no one uses the computer bar him, these things happen. Protect them as much as yourself. That's stable door, horse, etc. Uh, can't he just lie, uh, says Carl. Tell her it's a virus. <laughs> Otherwise, her image of her father will never be the same again. Hmm. No, 
<laughs> okay, no. that's a hard no, Carl. Uh, the, there's nothing worse than seeing another side to your father who you hold on a pedestal all the time. I remember as an eight-year-old uh, kid seeing my dad fall over drunk. Even now, more than 30 years later, I can remember that day so clearly. He's Superman and then all of a sudden he's a normal person. It's a weird feeling. Well, I suppose that happens to all children, but this is not the ideal way for that to happen. Uh, no, I, I, no I and it's a little young, Sean. You know, I think yeah. how, how we all know that we're a grown up is that we can acknowledge and recognize the limitations of our parents and love them anyway. That, you know, we're entering adulthood. She's young and this has happened in a way that's been very confronting. But she's 11. She will know if she's being lied to and it will actually further break the trust in the relationship. Yeah. Uh, right. Uh, another su- uh, suggestion. In, in, this is in terms of uh, um, uh, this, the five-year-old who's afraid of bees. My husband catches bees in a jam jar so that her son can see them safely mm. and become more familiar, but still explaining about possible stinging. So that's a probably that's nice. a good idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, for years, I was petrified of bees, worried to get stung until I was actually stung. It wasn't that bad. Sometimes it's the fear of what's to come uh, that's worse than the reality. Not sure how to work that into good parenting. Uh, <laughs> No, uh, probably probably not. Uh, Right. Uh, My just turned three year old has developed an awkward habit during lockdown. She lies on top of her toy dog and rubs it on her private parts. She would often do this when alone in a room. And if I come in, she says she's pretending the doggy is a toilet and to go away, mommy. I presume it's just a way of comforting herself and haven't intervened a lot so far. But it could get embarrassing once people are allowed to visit once again. Her older sister has picked up on us, commenting on it and now occasionally comes to us saying she's humping the dog again. Any advice now to deal with this? Is it normal? Oh, so normal. (laughs) Like, so, so normal. So healthy. And the word awkward really jumped out at me here. But who is it awkward for? It's awkward for us adults, not the child. She's like, just leave me alone. This is what I'm doing. Mm. Um, you know, if the reason she's doing it is it feels nice, you know, and children, when something feels nice, they keep doing it. Uh, You know, that kind of self-touch, masturbation. I think the word masturbation can be very triggering for adults as well. But, you know, any kind of self-touch, it's a type of exploration of her body. You know, it's very normal, especially between two and six years old, when they really don't have that kind of self-awareness or, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this the way I am or where I am, or maybe I should do this in private. They need some help and some boundaries around that. But we have to be really careful not to view children's behavior through adult eyes. You know, what we see her doing and our reaction that comes from us she's playing she's exploring she's experimenting and she has found something that feels nice it's soothing and that's why she's doing it it really isn't sinister it's healthy behavior in that way you know it it becomes problematic i don't want to say it never does you know it it can become problematic if self-touch for pleasure you know if it becomes really much more frequent very intense and that the child is withdrawing from others or other activities to do this and this alone, then yes, it's crossed a line into something more problematic. But I would say, you know, talk to her about it. Now, in a way like that you would talk to a three-year-old, keep it simple, 10 words or less, short sentences, don't use ambivalent language, be very clear about what you're saying, but just acknowledge what she's doing. You know, I've noticed that you like to sit on your dog and you say you're pretending it's a toilet or 
whatever it might be. Other children often will say, I'm pretending the toy, the teddy is a horse or, you know, something like that. And say, you know, add on to that. It probably feels really nice for you and tell her that touching her private parts is absolutely fine or playing in this way is fine, but that she's not to do it in family rooms or in front of other people because it's a private thing. And you can begin the conversation about private parts. She's three. You're beginning that. And really, she's going to look at you going, it's no big deal. So just kind of put that there where she can do it. I, you know, rather than telling children not to do this, I don't like I wouldn't encourage that. I would be telling them where they can do it. You know, if it, even if it's a child, if anyone's listening a bit older and you notice they're doing this, telling them that they can, you know, touch their bodies, their private parts in private in their rooms or wherever it is. And the good thing to do is to wash their hands before and afterwards. And you keep it very normal and you don't psychopathologize it because it doesn't warrant it. You know, she's not doing anything wrong. So she's certainly not going to get into trouble for it. That's the cornerstone of how you deliver this. What I would add, though, because she's three years old, is make sure she's getting enough physical activity to burn off energy, to stave off boredom, under stimulation. Um, if you notice that she's more likely to do this when she's tired or if she's been, you know, not had much outdoor time or physical activity, make sure she is getting enough of that and enough play and other types of engagement during the day. And really, you know, give alternative energy releases, like doing other things, running, jumping, playing with sensory stuff. She's very much in the sensory stage of play. Give her lots more sensory stuff to do. And I think that that's just, well, it's helpful and positive anyway. Um, and, you know, it doesn't imply that because she hasn't had this, this is happening. But it could be a way of just giving her other things to do. Right. But in time, will it pass away? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, like it really does. Like loads and loads of kids do this. Um, in fact, I think more kids do it than don't do it. And it's it's really because they're curious. Mm. You know, they're tactile, sensory seeking, curious little beings. And the body is a place of great wonder for them. And sometimes it can happen that they just discover this nice feeling by, you know, randomly while they're playing. As I said, often like treating a teddy bear as a horse or something like that. And they go, oh, that kind of feels quite nice. Or sitting on the arm of the sofa would also be quite common. Anything like that, that they suddenly go, that feels nice. I didn't know about that feeling. I'm going to do it again. And it can be that way. But it tends to come in when they're more aware of how others think about their behavior. They have more self-awareness, other awareness, and they realize, oh, this is something that isn't all that socially acceptable to do in front of other people. And I can do it because we don't want to put any shame in here. Mm. I can do it, but I can do it in private because it's a private thing. Right. OK, yeah, because they're not necessarily going to stop doing it because it feels nice. Why would you? Yeah, they're not going to stop doing it. No, yeah. we don't want to tell children they're not allowed to touch their bodies and they shouldn't find their bodies pleasurable. Like we, that's just so unhelpful and you'll spend longer undoing that message than delivering it. So I would go more down the road of boundaries. Joanna, uh, a joy as ever. Thanks very much for speaking with us today. Thank uh, you. Uh, Joanna Fortune there. Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again.